Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. 1 Samuel chapter 16, I want, to, um, I want to walk through really just the first two verses. Um, context matters. Um, and I've probably preached on this, but most likely from David's perspective, because that's just what I do. Um, but the prophet of God is sort of, it's a little bit like God's perspective here. Um, but today, I believe that as Pastor John has stood at this pulpit and said, we're not a church with prophets, we're a church of prophets. Um, we're a church that has said, okay, prophetic spirit of God, hit me, I'm open. And what, what has resulted from that is an incredible uh, groundswell of people who are operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, who are stepping out um, in things that maybe they're not 100% sure of, but are trusting that the Lord's using them in a mighty way. And lo and behold, it's happening. And so Samuel is in an interesting situation here. Um, he had just appointed publicly Saul, okay? This was like one of his first big uh, sort of grand gestures as a prophet of the Lord. He had served um, in, the, in the tabernacle, and he was well-known, but, but appointing the very first king of Israel was a really big deal. And if you go back in the, the earlier chapters of this same book, you'll read more of that story. We may jump back there for just a second, but probably not. What's going to happen here is we're going we're gonna to track what's going through Samuel's head as he transitions from the first choice to the second choice, which was really the first choice. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Why did the Lord have to show up and say this? Because Samuel was grieving over Saul. In fact, Samuel... <laughs> Samuel took out some of his grief on uh, a king, Agag, and he had literally just called him to give him a message and had cut him to pieces with a sword, okay? So he, he's grieving over Saul. He's grieving over the mistakes Saul has made. He's grieving over the fact that uh, these people in rebellion to the theocracy that God wanted to lead Israel with, that, that these people cried out and they said, we want a king, we want a king, we want a king like all these other nations have a king. And so Samuel says, no, you don't get it. You don't want a king. Kings are going to take your sons and send them off to war. They're going to rob you blind with their taxes. They're going to they're be an issue that you won't have if you'll just listen to the Lord. They said, no, we want a king. And so God heard him. And to make a statement, God says, okay, you want your king? You can have your king. And so Samuel goes and calls the tribe of Benjamin. And if you remember how the story goes, we're not going to go back there, but they drew straws. And the tribe of Benjamin gets pulled. And then they draw families. And Saul's family gets pulled. And eventually it goes down. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't really want that to be how the king is chosen. Just, that you got the short one. You know, I know that's kind of how we're reduced down to here in the United States right now. But I, I do feel like at the same... It's all right. Too soon. I, 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 yeah, it's okay. It's okay. I do, believe that, uh, I do believe that the Lord wants to be a bigger part of this than what we allow him to be. And so he says to Samuel, how long will you grieve? Because Samuel has a front row seat to Saul's epic fails. 
And one of the big ones is, you know, he's supposed to put everything to death in this victory that they just won, and he doesn't. He chooses to bring back a trophy. He brings back all the, the, the sheep and the goats and the cattle that are, that are choice and of good stock, and he brings back the king. Why? Because it was a statement of one king's victory to have another king as prisoner. And the Lord said, take no prisoners, which we could preach a whole other message on that. We're not going to. The point is, Saul's failing and failing and failing. And one of the big ones is, he makes a sacrifice in disobedience. And it's just in this passage leading up. It's in 15, leading up to 16, where Samuel goes to Saul and says, Saul, obedience is better than sacrifice. And it's at this point when we see the spirit of the Lord begin to lift off of Saul, the grace to lead begins to dissipate. Now, we can get into, well, what was the will of God? Did God destine Saul for failure? Or, you know, was he just, no, God gave the people what they wanted. They wanted a king that was a head and shoulders taller than everybody else. They wanted a king that they could all rally around. And, and they got the king that they thought they wanted. God gave them their king. But in an effort to move people forward, he needed to give them his king. He needed to give them his choice. And saints, I stand before you this morning as somebody who is concerned about how often we get hung up on our last choice, our last mistake, our last uh, direction or step that we took, and how whatever happened, whether we want to put God's name all over it or whether we want to acknowledge, no, that was 100% in the flesh, or whether we want to say, we prayed about that, so God must have been a part of it, or, well, you know, I did what I knew I shouldn't do, but isn't God's grace on it? I want to ask you this morning the same thing that the father asked Samuel. How long will you grieve? You see, even the Lord's plans are subject to man's will. You heard David Andrade come down this morning and talk about how God had a plan to redeem David and his administration out of this issue with Bathsheba. But David sets about redeeming himself and ends up with blood on his hands in addition to adultery. And saints, I think what happens is we forget sometimes that even when we mess it up, that it's, it's in our best interest and God's best purpose to allow him to come in and make things right. Maybe you feel like you made the wrong choice at some point in your life. Maybe you feel like you anointed the wrong man as king of your house. But saints, what this comes down to is it comes down to who's going to take it from here. It was God who told Samuel to appoint Saul in the first place. And yes, it turned out to be a big flop. But if you're writing things down this morning, get this. The problem is not when a plan fails. The problem is when we fail to see that God has another one. I heard uh, Craig Rochelle, it's one of his things. He says it all the time. But he talks about failure. And about how you have, to, you have to build in room for failure. You have to build in um, space like real estate for failure to take place. And there is no place in your life that you can arrive at 
where you, you have to live beyond the scope of failure. Because, and I'm not talking about like epic fails where you just like ruin your life. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying if you're gonna live a life that is in pursuit of the things of God, there is still flesh on your bones. And if it's just a thought that crosses your mind or if it's like a fall flat on your face, if we don't, if we don't allow the grace of God to give us room for those things, Saints, we're going to be in bad shape. We're never going to move forward. And so I, I want to encourage you, and th- this is, you know, depending on who you ask and, and on our serve team and our leadership here, you know, I believe that failure is a big part of how we have moved forward as a church. It's a big part of how, you know, we can stand up here on one week and make an announcement and stand up two weeks later and say, hey, there were some things about that we need to clarify, it's, it's part of moving forward. It's part of living and building momentum and keeping with that momentum. The problem is not when a plan fails. And if you have a plan somewhere in your past that has failed, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to ask you, how long will you grieve over that plan? How long will you grieve over that choice? One more time, the problem is not when a plan fails. The problem is when we fail to see that God has another one. The Lord gave the people what they wanted, saints, and then allowed it to fail to prove a point. And that point is that even our desires require his grace. Most of us, when we pray for the grace of God, it's when we're aware of a failure. But in truth, at this point, when, when, when Samuel is, is bearing witness to what's going on with Saul, where Saul's really screwing up big time, the rest of Israel is not really clued in on this. So you have this king. You have, let's say, a president who's making decisions, who's passing laws, or who's you know, advocating something, or who's whatever, standing up and giving speeches. And, and let's just say the critical mass of a population is sort of standing around and, and not really understanding the difference or the impact of really these decisions that are being made. But somebody is somewhere. And in this case, Samuel is aware of what's going on. And Samuel, maybe in a conversation with just him and Saul, off to the side, hey, what are you doing? What are you thinking? How far do you want to push this? But Saul's still living his best life, taking trophies home, right? Winning battles, making a name for himself, establishing his throne. And saints, this is, this is I think, one of those critical points in our lives where if we're willing to get real with ourselves, we've got to be able to say, even our desires, even when, even when we're winning, Our desires require his grace. And if we can get ahead of our failures, before they're even failures, and we can say whether this is a a win or a lose, whether this is a victory or a defeat, no matter what happens, I need the grace of God all over this thing. I need the grace of God all over this conversation, whether it goes my way or the highway. So how long will you grieve? And I don't know what Samuel's response is to this. I don't know if his posture starts to change immediately when the Lord shows up. But what I know is that right on the heels of that question, the Lord has a direction. 
And he says this. He says, fill your horn with oil and go. Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm going to send you to Jesse in Bethlehem. For I have selected, watch this, a king for myself. Note the difference here. Chapter 8, 22. Go ahead and appoint a king for them. Saul was a king for the people. God wanted a king for himself. And any plan that fails, people of God, any plan that fails is most likely because it was a plan for the people. It was not a plan for the Lord. And when God says, go and fill your horn with oil, I want to talk about this for a second because I... Um, I read that line and, you know, I just see this, like we all see, you know, this old man in a robe with like a, a horn, you know, like a ram's horn or an animal horn that's like corked up at one end. And if any, has anybody ever smelled the horn of a dead animal? It doesn't smell like the thing that you want to be anointed with. I have a shofar and, you know, you blow in it. And then if you accidentally breathe in through your nose, like after that, it like knocks you over. And it just reminds you that, you know, well, the power of life and death is in the voice of the Lord. So the, uh, the thing is that he says, fill your horn with oil and go. The reason why Samuel needed that horn with that oil in it is because there was an anointing that was about to take place. And in a Pentecostal charismatic church in 2023, we talk a lot about the anointing, don't we? Um, and some of you get weird when we talk about the anointing. In fact, I've had some conversations with people that are like, mm, I don't know if that's really necessary. I don't get it. Like, aren't we all anointed? Or isn't nobody anointed? Or is that really a thing for today? I want to give you a really quick working definition for the anointing. The anointing is a measure of the Holy Spirit placed on a person, place, or thing for a specific purpose. So we can say so-and-so is anointed, but really they're anointed to do a thing. Because the same Holy Spirit is, in fact, on all of us. When we invite Jesus into our heart, we're inviting the presence of God, which is his spirit, to come and live in our lives, okay? So yes, while we have the Holy Spirit, part of, part of walking in the baptism of that spirit, the overflow, the bubbling over of that spirit, is that the Lord will place upon us a measure of his spirit for a specific purpose, for a specific time. It's kind of like, uh, some of you may be coming from a different background. You might call it a grace. There's a grace on this person to lead, or there's a grace on this person to, you know, have patience for this season in this, uh, in this arena, or there's a grace on this person for such and such a time. And maybe, you know, we can just use them interchangeably if it makes you feel better. But the anointing is when the Lord has called somebody to something, he anoints them to be supernaturally empowered to serve that purpose. So many of you in this room, you're, you're uh, walking in giftings, 
and you're unaware, you know that there's a calling on your life, but your doubt is not in the gift or in the call. It's that there's a supernatural measure of his spirit imparted to you to fulfill that call. And that's how it works. Fill your horn with oil. Fill your horn with oil. Saints, if we're not full of the Holy Spirit, then all we transfer is a spirit of emptiness. I think he would have grabbed his horn, like maybe, you know, I don't know, like maybe a girl just grabs her purse on the way out the door, you know, just man bag right over your shoulder, walk out, and then you're like, oh, shoot, I forgot my lip gloss or whatever. I don't know, whatever's in there. The problem is that bag serves no purpose unless it's full. My, you remember back when women carried big bags? You remember standing in line at Brownsville? No large handbags. Single file line, single file line, no large handbags. And uh, there, was this, there was this black security guard that stood out there, and he was no less than 275 years old. And he was there from, like, you know, when St. Augustine was founded. And saying to the guys when they got off the ship, single file line, no large handbags. He would stand out there, no large handbags. There's a reason, because people weren't carrying, like, little, like, fanny packs and little bags like they are now. Like, my mom had this purse, and I could fit inside of it. And sometimes I did. You know what I'm saying? If it meant we got an extra meal at the buffet for free, you know who you are. It's a southern thing. They don't have buffets up here. But um, my mom's purse was like, it was like Mary Poppins' bag. You know, it would be like, hey, I forgot my floor lamp. And my mom's like, oh, I have one right here. Oh, shoot, we, 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 we're missing an extra vehicle, like, to get this extra per- Oh, I have a small Honda Civic right here. <laughs> Out of the bag it comes. And uh, I just remember that. I remember my mom having, like, full meals in her bag. Um, you know, I'm like, weird. No, this is nuts. But the deal is, if, if you're not full of something, you don't have anything to give. You want to know the truth? Nobody wants you. Nobody wants you. They want the truth and the promises. They want the call. They want the measure of the Holy Spirit that's been given to you. They want the things the Father has placed inside of you. But without those things, all you have to give, all you have to transfer, all you have to impart is emptiness. And I don't care how good the TED Talk is, and I don't care how, how uh, emotionally persuasive the message is. And I don't care how riveting uh, the YouTube talking head is. At the end of the day, if there isn't something eternal resting in the bottom of that well, people leave empty. People leave empty. I remember Pastor John and I, when we were um, over on the corner of Warren and Broadway, I remember there was a Sunday morning and we felt that the Lord uh, had led us to, um, right after service was over one morning, um, to go to drive out to another church and uh, to sit in on this. I don't even know if you remember this, John. It was so long ago. And we went, we, we left in a hurry. We got out. We drove down to this other church and we actually 
we were wondering if maybe the Lord had called us to sort of like merge or to be kind of like partner up. And so our church was small at the time, like maybe 80 people. And we got in the car. We were so excited. And we were so filled up from what the Lord had done in our service that morning. And we walk in. We sit down in this church. And the, the only word that I can use to describe it is a vacuum. It felt like a spiritual vacuum. And I realized what was being imparted was emptiness. Emptiness. And saints, it comes down to this question. Is your horn full? Is your horn full? When you leave the house in the morning, are you ready to pass on that part of yourself that matters, the only part of yourself that changes the world, the part of yourself that's not really part of yourself at all, but it's part of our God, our maker, our creator. And he's given it to us to steward, not to leave at home on a shelf, not to fill up at that one revival service that we went to in 1973 and then to look longingly at that vial for the rest of your life, thinking back on the glory days of your faith. Fill your horn with oil because the Lord is about to do something for himself and he is requiring a generation of Samuels who will leave their house full of the Holy Spirit, brimming with the Holy Ghost so that whatever they touch, it's not their fingerprint they're leaving, but it's his. You don't want to pour yourself out on people. You want to pour the oil of gladness out. You want to pour out the oil of his spirit. We do this in our words, in our conversations. We do this in our interactions, our gestures. And saints, if we're not full of him, we're full of something else. And it's something the world doesn't need. They've got enough of that. Hopelessness, fear, despair, grief, confusion, drama. My God. You think the people out there need another political conversation with you? They need the spirit of God. Fill your horn with oil. I'm sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. For I have selected a king for myself. But Samuel says, classic Samuel. Here we go. Classic us. How can I go? When Saul hears of it, he going to kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. I hear Samuel's voice and, and that question back to the Lord, how can I go? How can I go? Because Samuel, again, Samuel was the kind of guy who, uh, when people saw him moving, they followed him. There's people like that in this room. When you speak, people are listening. And I'm not just talking about how many followers you have on your social media. I'm talking about 
how many people the Lord has placed in your sphere of influence. And you may be a, a workplace, uh, you know, break room conversation. But when you talk, people are listening. Even if they chide back in with some sarcastic remark that cuts you down, they're listening and it sticks with them. Why? Because there's something eternal in you. And the eternal cannot be avoided. The temporal can. Why? Because temporary things last for a season and then they end. The eternal, you can avoid it for like five minutes and then it hits you in the face. Or you can ignore it for the rest of the day and then you get home and then it whops you upside the stomach. And so what happens is sometimes we take that sphere of influence for granted. Samuel understood that his eyes would be on him, that when he left his house and walked towards Saul's tent, that people were going to be like, hey, isn't that Samuel? Oh, that's definitely Samuel. I can smell that anointing oil from here. You see what he's got, right? He's got the horn. Wait, he's not headed to Saul's tent. I thought he was like the man of God that's supposed to speak. No, he's not. He's headed to, oh, he's going to Jesse's house. That's weird. Why is he going? Samuel's playing all this out in his head, and he's like, Saul, Saul, if Saul gets wind of this, I'm a dead man. Because if Saul sees me out with my full horn, he knows what's going to happen. He knows that we just had a conversation about the epic fail he made. He's trying to hide it from everybody, and I'm about to go throw shade on him when I, when I go anoint whoever it is that you're talking about right now, Lord. Have you ever been so afraid of your last plan that you can't make another one? Have you ever been so afraid of the consequences or the side effects or the long-term repercussions of the last decision that you made that you're paralyzed to make the next one? That was Samuel. And that's us. When we look back and we say, oh, shoot. You know what? My first marriage, it was a catastrophe. And so I am just, just reconciling myself to a life of loneliness and despair. My first husband left me. My first wife left me. And you know what? I made a mistake then. Who's to say I'm not going to do it again? Forget it. Or maybe, or maybe it's a kid, and we feel like we failed a child. We feel like we failed a family. We feel like we failed a calling. We feel like we maybe had a successful, effective ministry that we were operating in, something, something fruitful for the kingdom that we were a part of, and it crashed and burned. Maybe, maybe we got things out of order and we started a family outside the covenant of marriage, and it's just chaos and confusion, and we feel like we can't, we can't pull things together and tie things up. And the enemy wants us living in that fear, he wants us walking in a posture of, of, of disappointment and humiliation. Why? Because that will prevent us from ever setting foot out to make a new decision, to make a new choice, to see what God's planning now. What does he want now? Because if we're going to bend our ear to his heart, we'll find out that this next thing, it's not for the people. It's not for me. He's going to make a decision for himself. And he's going to use us to just bless what he already wants. That's the anointing. You know what? 
Let's go ahead and stand up. If you would, stand with me. Jamal, would you come up? Because my favorite part of the whole story is how the Lord responds to Samuel's fear. He says, I got you covered. Here's what you're going to do. Take a heifer and say this, I've come to make a sacrifice. Well, isn't that a little misleading, Lord? Because really, I'm going to anoint a, a new king to take Saul's place. Are you telling me I need to lie? I'm telling you to take a heifer, go and make a sacrifice. Whatever happens during that sacrifice, it happens. You know, we have a saying around here, what happens in worship stays in worship <laughs> before it goes outside. We don't have that saying. I just made that up. But we should because here's the deal. When we're walking in intimacy with the Lord, when we're walking in fellowship, closeness, hand in hand with our God, and we call him friend, we call him father, we call the Lord the lover of our soul and we mean it, and we love him that way too, what happens is everything's under that covering. Everything is under that worship. Everything that needs to take place, every new season, every threshold that needs to be crossed, every, every new uh, action that needs to be anointed, it happens in the haze of our worship. And while we can live in the, in the you know, this constant fear, I've noticed that. People who, people who have really epic worship lives, really epic intimacy with the Lord, they're like afraid of nothing. And it's not because they're not doing anything that they shouldn't be afraid of getting caught doing. <laughs> I'm talking about myself here. It's not, because, it's not because they're not constantly taking risks and taking leaps of faith and stepping over the sides of boats out onto the water. It's not because they're not doing those things. It's because the, the, the haze of glory around their life is so thick that people can't even see through it to know clearly what's going on in there. Is that? That's just Samuel making another sacrifice. <laughs> That's just that old guy. He's just setting another cow on fire. You know what he does. He just goes around and making sacrifices, worshiping the Lord. You know him. You know that David. He's always singing some song. Well, what you don't know is that as David is just singing a song, nations are falling. Walls are crumbling. Enemies are being defeated. Giants are toppling. And over all the noise of the battlefield, what do they hear? They hear that song. They smell that worship, that fragrance, that crazy thing 
that billows out from our lives as the sons and daughters of God. And so if you're in this place this morning and you say, Zach, I know it's time for me to step into a new season. But I'm reluctant. I'm reluctant. I'm hesitant. I get right up to the threshold and I I know it's time to anoint a thing. And, and man, I know the anointing of the Lord is on me. I know the Holy Spirit is with me. My horn is full and I'm ready to go. But it's like I just... Ah. If you're in here this morning and you know the Lord is calling you to a new thing, you've heard his question, how long will you grieve? And you said, okay, Lord, it stops today. If that's you in this house, would you step out of your seat and meet me down here? coming down to the altar as like a weakness or something, but I want you to, to take note of who it is that God's speaking to right now. He's speaking to the most spiritually strong giant in all the land is he's having this conversation with. Samuel. Samuel whose very existence was a miracle. Samuel, who shouldn't have even existed if it weren't for a miracle of God. Samuel, who from a young age got familiar and intimate with the voice of the Lord calling him out of his bed. This, this scene, this situation that you're in right now, saints, this isn't because of sin or because of failure or because of anything else. This is because the Lord saw fit to have this conversation with you. How long will you grieve? Fill your horn with oil because I'm about to use you to make a decision for me. This time, it's for me. This time, it's for him. Start there. Start there. And now, from that place, the fear, the reluctance, the hesitation, the... Uh, however long it's been that you've gone up to that threshold and said, I'm not ready. I don't have what it takes. What if what happens last time happens again? What if I, what if I go back to that old thing? What if I pick up those old chains again? Hear the word of the Lord say, take a heifer and make a sacrifice. No matter what needs to be done, bury it under the cloak of covenant. Bathe it under the blood of Jesus Christ because his sacrifice covers everything. And the worship and the fellowship and the intimacy that arises from us because of that sacrifice, the glory, the fragrance, the cloud 
It fills the room and it fills your life. And whatever needs to be hidden is hidden. In fact, if you'll remember correctly, Samuel anoints David that day and he doesn't actually assume the throne for almost 15 years. Now don't get discouraged if you're down here. I'm not speaking that over you. I'm saying if you're making God's choice, then you're subjecting it to God's timing. If you're making God's choice, you're subjecting it to God's timing. And to him, a day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is as a day. And a sanctuary renovation is as a thousand years. (laughs) And a day. So, Father, we, we gather around our brothers and sisters this morning. And Lord, we want to be, Lord, we want to be the collective voice of heaven coming into agreement with your words. Make a sacrifice. Lord, I pray that, Lord, every one of us in this room, that we would hear your words to Samuel and we would hear them for ourselves. I'm sending you. Fill your horn with oil. I'm sending you. Fill your horn with oil. Lord, I pray this morning for a fresh infilling of your spirit, for fresh fire to consume us from the inside out, Lord, so that what we pour out is is no longer resemblant of ourselves. God, it doesn't even sound like us anymore. It sounds like a new thing, like a new creature, like old things have passed away and all things are new. And so, Lord, we come into agreement with heaven this morning. We make that sacrifice. God, whatever you want to hide, hide it. Whatever you want to expose, expose it. Whoever needs to see it, let them see it. But it's not of our concern. Lord, our concern this morning is obedience and sacrifice. Obedience and sacrifice. Obedience and sacrifice. And Lord, if it does get us killed, then so be it. But God, you saw fit to bring Samuel into this place and out of it to appoint and anoint a new king. And so God, if you want us coming out of this place with fresh leadership in our lives, under new covenant with you and with somebody else. God, whatever it is, we subject it to you and to your timing. We love you and we thank you. We give you all the glory and all the honor. You provide the fire. Jesus. And I'll provide the sacrifice. And you provide the spirit, oh, oh, and I will love it up inside. Fill me up, God. Fill me up, God. Fill me up, God. Fill me. Up. One more time, you provide the fire, God. You provide the fire. And I'll provide the sacrifice.
dismiss here in just a second but before we do I want to I feel like I know we've talked a little bit about finances this morning Ron came up and said that awesome word but I feel like there may be somebody in here and the Saul in your life was a financial decision um, and maybe you did the best with what you had the knowledge you had or you did the best you took a risk or whatever happened and uh, it turned out to be a flop and it, there's a lie rattling around inside your head that now the result of that, the consequence of that is that you will live the rest of your life in poverty or in a poverty mindset, which is like worse than poverty. And if that's you in this place, whether you're down here or you're still in the room, I just, I, I, I feel like the Lord wants to tell you the wealth that Israel saw under Saul did not even compare to what he was about to pour out through his servant David. Saul ended up costing the nation. But David set things in motion, not just for himself, but for Solomon after him to bring Israel into its golden age of wealth, of victory, of military campaign, and of peace. And I want to encourage you in this place this morning, reject that lie. Reject that lie. Because as you fill your horn with oil, you may find the Lord calling you right back down that same path of finances, of maybe business and investment and something else along those lines. And don't you dare fear stepping out into that. Just make sure that this time it's for him. It's for him. This is Pastor Zach and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you and have the best day of your life.